So I'm going to read the scripture this morning and then pray. Um, This morning, if you join me on your bulletin or in your Bible, we're in Matthew 16. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we bought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Why don't you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to gather here this morning um, and to worship you through song, um, Lord, and to listen to your word being taught. Lord, I pray that you would speak through Jade this morning, um, that your truth would be present. Lord, pray that you would just strengthen our faith, draw us closer to you um, as we gather as a community this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Are you ready for me? (laughs) All right. Good morning. How is everybody? Good, good. My name is Jade Molina. I actually am the spiritual life, one of two spiritual life directors over at Oaks Christian School, uh, just over the hill. Uh, I've had the opportunity to come here and bring the word to you guys a couple times over the last couple years. Brian uh, called me up and said, hey, I got some baseball games. Uh, can, I, can I have you come in and fill in? I was like, absolutely, I'd love to. So uh, are you guys ready? Are you sure? Okay, so can I have you say, uh, I'd love to get some participation here. Uh, Can you say, add more dough? Add more dough. I'd love for you to hang on to that. Add more dough, that idea of adding more dough. We're going to come back to it. So when I was 25 years old, I was a year out of the Navy, and I was completely lost. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I was drinking pretty much every day. And my high school sweetheart, who had become my wife, we had been married two years, she was, she was about ready to leave me. I, I was done. I was at one of the low points of my life, and I was only 25. I didn't know how to fix this. All I knew is that something needed to change. And so my default, which is probably a default of many of you, is that when something needs to change in our life, we typically say to ourselves, I need to stop doing this. I need to stop doing that. I need to not say this. I need to, and it's always on a negative. I I need to deprive myself of something in order to grow in some area of my life. Right? Typically with fitness. I see it all the time. Somebody's over there putting the lemon loaf in their mouth like, I really got to stop eating all this. Right? I really need to not drink so much coffee during the day. I really don't. And And we have this thing. And when I was 25 years old and I was going through this, I realized pretty quickly that I couldn't just self-will all this stuff in my life away. 
I couldn't just self-will it. My habits, my dependencies, my, my life patterns had become so rooted that I couldn't just stop doing these things. They were a part of who I was. And so when I started noticing that I couldn't self-will it, I needed something else to look forward to. And when I started looking for it, I ended up stumbling onto this principle that we see in Scripture that's actually pretty profound. So if you have a Bible, we just read the passage. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Matthew 16. Turn to Matthew 16. And they may have the passages up here for you. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, all I wanted to happen was I just wanted to, the alcohol to go away. I was drinking it so much, it was affecting every, every, every area of my life. I wanted the anger to go away. I wanted the words that I said to other people to go away and change. And I dove into this passage one time, and we're going to unpack this, and there is a principle here that is sitting real uh, deep inside of the words that Jesus shares with us, and it can apply to so many areas of our life. So we're going to unpack this. So starting in Matthew 16, verse number 5, it says this. It says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. So let's stop right there. Let's set some context. So Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. He's been mentoring them. He's been teaching them for a while now. If we look back in the first 15 chapters of Matthew, Jesus has went through some stuff himself. He's actually got his boys and he has done some miracles He's been training them up. He's actually fed a group of 5,000 people, and then he's fed a group of 4,000 people. And he's showing, you guys should pay attention to me. I have something for you. He made, he's made some very bold claims about who he is that, that you just can't deny. Like, who walks around saying, I am the Father, our one? Good people don't say that. Crazy people say that, unless it's true. And so he's saying these things that are really capturing people's attention. And he, and, and, but what's fascinating to me about this is that it says, when they went, when they, the disciples and Jesus, went across the lake, they're at the Sea of Galilee, and they're walking along the sea, and the disciples forgot to take bread. Okay. Jesus says, be careful. Be careful and be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is yeast? We have to stop right here and ask, what is yeast? What is Jesus talking about? So what is yeast? It's a microorganism. Awesome. We've got some biologists in here, right? <laughs> it's a micro. And what does that microorganism do? When you put it in bread or in dough. It makes it rise, right? Now, metaphorically and symbolically and figuratively, yeast throughout Scripture is used as a way of referencing... Anybody know? Good. Sin. Throwing some stuff out there. We got participation, right? That's a teacher in me. Okay? So, yes, Jesus used it over and over as a metaphor or a symbol of sin. But let's just let's go to the microbiology here, okay? If we have a big, you know, 
thing of dough, water and flour, and we put it together and we made dough. And then we t get yeast, and we take yeast and we put it inside of that dough, and we stir it into that dough. What have we created? We have created ingredients in a mixture where there is yeast proportionate to the dough. So, that yeast has an effect on the dough. And it's proportionate to how much dough is there. And so Jesus is making reference to this. It's this deep underlying principle that he's talking about. But let's keep going. So now that we have this idea of what yeast is, let's come back. He says, be careful, be on your guard, be on your guard against the yeast, this ingredient that's been added by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they, the disciples, they discussed this among themselves, and they said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Jesus is upset. And Jesus is like, dude, I can see him walking along the sea, right? And he's over here, might have his hands behind his back like some rabbis do, and here's the boys talking over here. And they're like, dude, we don't have any bread. We forgot the bread. He's going to get hungry. And Jesus is like, guys, dude, I already, I already made bread for 4,000 people, and you're trying to figure that one out. I, I can make bread. Bread's not an issue. That's not what I'm talking about. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, <laughs> You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread. But be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus, over and over again, was confronting these spiritual leaders about all the do-nots that they were imposing on the people to grow in their spirituality, to grow in their relationship with God, to grow in their relationship with their Maker. It was all, do not, do not do this, do not do this, don't break this law. And we all, you know, reference the Ten Commandments, but there were 613 total laws in the Old Testament that these Pharisees and Sadducees were imposing on the people. It was almost that they were, they were giving them a burden, almost making it impossible to access their Maker. And Jesus is like, watch out for that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And unfortunately, in the Christian community sometimes, we get so caught up in the do-nots ourselves that that's how we get identified. We get identified by all the things we do not do. I, I, don't, I don't drink. I don't know. I don't cuss. I don't say bad words. I don't and I don't, right? And those are all the things that define our faith. And Jesus has this underlying principle. He's like, guys, there's something. Watch out for the yeast. So, the Scripture goes on to say that in verse 12, it says, Then they understood that He was not telling them to guard against the yeast using bread, <laughs> but He was telling them to guard against the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Over and over again, Jesus says, Repent. And that word in the Greek that He's using here, repent means change your mind. 
Have a mind change about how you're thinking about the kingdom of God. Repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He teaches this over and over again. He's trying to offer something better. He's trying to move us out of the default, i got to stop doing stuff, and he's trying to teach us to change the proportion of yeast to dough in our life and add more dough. He is the dough. See, once you stir that yeast in, you can't get it out. It's impossible. You can't get the yeast out of the dough. The only way to change the proportion of its effect on the dough is to add more dough. So the underlying principle here is, is Jesus trying to say, y'all have sin. Yeah, there's things you should not do. But in order to not do them, you should add more of me. Add more of the kingdom life to your life, and it will change the proportion of the effects of that yeast and that sin in your life. And that's kingdom living. See, when I was 25 and I was drinking, I wanted to, I got to stop drinking. I got to stop saying these things. I got to stop doing this. And it wasn't until I figured out I can't on my own. I need to add more good to my life in order to push out the junk that was in there. And so, I'll show you a little bit of what that looked like in my life. So, like I said, I was 25, I was lost. And I was trying. I'd have good weeks and I'd have bad weeks. And I'd have a week of good where I, I didn't drink and I, I observed some self-discipline. And then I'd have weeks where I'd be around my buddies or whatever and I'd have a drink and that drink would turn into 10. And then I was being the jerk again and talking to my wife, mean, not, not doing what I needed to do as a father and as a husband. And so one night we decided to take a date night. We go out and we're having a good time and I'm working really hard at not drinking. I promised her I wouldn't drink. And then we end up at a buddy's house where there's a party going on and a buddy and I are rapping back and forth and we're kind of having a good time. And he says, hey man, you, you want a beer? And I look at her and she's like, you can have one. Well, you, you, alcoholics can't just drink one. Somebody that's, you know, addicted can't have one. So the next thing I know is that that one beer turns into me and two other dudes out in the backyard passing around vo vodka and margarita mix, pouring it into our mouths, just getting drunk. My wife walks out. She sees what's going on. She's like, we're done. I can't do this anymore. She leaves, and in my you know, drunkenness, I'm like, whatever. And I keep going. I get to the point where <laughs> I get so drunk, it's time for me to go. So I just dismiss myself from the party, and I start walking, and I'm walking home, and I remember I'm going down the street, and I'm heading this way, and I see this gas station, and I start stumbling out in the street, and a car drives by, and from what I can figure, it's about midnight, and I'm thinking to myself, I need to get on the other side of this divider because I'm going to get hit by a car. So I go, and I sit down, and then I go, and I put my feet over, and I go to stand up, but there's a significant problem with my situation. See, I was so drunk, I didn't realize I was on an overpass going over the Kern River. I'm originally from Bakersfield. Don't hold it against me. And so when I went to put my feet down, I fell about 14 feet. 
and I hit the embankment and it knocked me out. So I, I wake up, I don't know, I think I would calculate it's about four, four hours later, and um, half my body's in the water. I'm at an angle like this. My shoes are gone, I had sandals on. I had never experienced that much pain in my life. And so I remember crawling up the embankment and I get to the top and I just lay there and I'm crying and I see the, I see the stoplight. Finally make it to my feet, but my feet are all cut up because I hit the rocks. I start walking, cop drives by, passes me. I start crying, I want him to stop. Comes back around, cop gets out. And I remember the cop walking up to me and he shines his light in my face and he leans back He's like, man, what happened to you? And I, told, I painted this picture that I was the good guy and didn't get in the car with my buddies because I didn't want to get in the car drunk and I walked and had an accident, right? And so it's just domino, dominoing into more lies. And so he takes me home. I walk in the back door and my wife's like, I'm done. Don't even come in here. And I'm like crying, no, I'm hurt. You don't understand. And so she takes me into the room and starts cleaning me up. She starts putting peroxide all over me. I, had, I, I was scraped all up. And I'm screaming into the pillow because it's burning. And so I, I end up falling asleep. And the next morning, this would have been a Sunday morning, I wake up, I think around 9 or 10. And I get up and I feel like I've been run over five times by a car. I go to the mirror and I look in the mirror and I don't even recognize the guy looking back at me. I've gotten truly to the lowest point. And the humor of my family is they heard about it, so they were calling me up, calling me River Rat. <laughs> That's our humor. <laughs> so, so the River Rat's looking in the mirror, can't recognize himself. And uh, my teeth, my two front teeth, uh, they were, half of them were missing on each side. And they were all jagged, so I took an emery board and I tried to straighten them up. It, I don't suggest that. That was on Sunday. On Monday morning at 7.30, I had to be on a plane to Korea because I was still in the Naval Reserves and I had my two-week duty I had to go do in Korea. And I just didn't know how to get out of it. So I end up going to Korea. I show up there. They asked me what happened. I lied and told them I had a downhill mountain bike accident because if, it if they would have found out it was alcohol-related, I, I would have gotten in trouble. So they put me in a barrack. And for two weeks, laying there in a dark room, I got to think about life. I got to think about these principles and these ideas of all the things that I needed to take out of my life. And I concluded there were four things that needed to change in my life. Number one, I needed to go to church. I hated church. The only reason I was going was because I was chasing that young lady in my life and she went to church. I don't know what she was doing with me. Two, I needed to get fit again. I had always been an athlete and by this time, I was a mess. All I was doing was drinking. Number three, I needed to figure out how to be a daddy and a husband. Relationally, I wasn't getting it done. And then the last thing was, I, had to, I needed to step up, start being a provider. And I needed to start making more money. I needed to start protecting and providing over my family. And so those four areas, I narrowed it down to four Fs. I needed to grow in my faith. I needed to grow in my fitness. I needed to grow in my family, and I needed to grow in my finances. The four major pillars of all of our lives, right? So I got home, asked my wife for forgiveness. We start going. Thankfully, she says, okay, we'll give it another try. We start going to church. 
And we're sitting in church, and about six weeks in, every week I'm sitting there in church, and the pastor's giving a message, and I feel like my stomach is sitting in my throat, and that I'm supposed to give my life to Christ, and I have no idea what this means. Because a message like this keeps coming every week. And then I hear something that Jesus says, and it hit me hard. At the end of this passage, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples a question. But let me stop right here. And I'm going to tie all this together. Please understand that Caesarea Philippi is a place known for debauchery. It's a place where there is pagan worship. It's a place where partying and drunkenness and an unholy lifestyle is just running rampant. And Jesus takes them all to this city, this place, and sits them there right outside of town, and He asks them a question. He says, Who do the people say that I am? Who do they say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, and some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, when I heard this, that deep thing that was going on in me for several weeks now was happening again, and I was forced to answer that question. Who is Jesus? He's doing something in me. And I realized I needed to add that to my life to start to push out all the things that I could not self-will away. And so that's the question that faces all of us. I could sit here and I could give you four points and I could give you three points and do this and do that. But at the end of the day, I think that by telling this story, somewhere along the story, you've made attachments to, I've done that. That's me. I've been that guy. I've wanted to take stuff out of my life and not know how. I've wanted to self-will. I haven't been able to exercise self-discipline or whatever. And all of that gets us to the point where Jesus is asking the same question to all of us. Who do you say that I am? And you get to answer that. And so, maybe you've been in the church your whole life. And maybe... You're walking with the Lord and you know the Lord. And maybe there's been a drift in your life. And maybe it's time to come back and I know who you are. And I need to add more dough. I need to add more of you into my life in order to grow in my four areas. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe, maybe that's a foreign idea to you. But maybe, it, maybe, maybe you want more. And you're, and you're ready to step into, I don't know, I, I want to know who He is. I want to be able to answer that question. Or maybe you're thriving and like, this is affirming for me. I'm living in Jesus and He's doing that work in me and I'm thriving from that place. And so I'm going to close with this. I don't want to get too long-winded today because I can talk a long time. <laughs> um. See, when I looked at my four pillars and I started to analyze, a lot of people think that, uh, yeah, if the worship team wants to come on back up, we'll, we'll start to close here. Um, 
you would think that now that I have become a pastor and I'm a spiritual life director and I teach the Word of God, that, that my faith would be my power pillar. I would, that adding Jesus, that first thing, that that would have been the number one thing. But to be honest with you, what I realized when I analyzed my four pillars, my faith, my fitness, my family, and my finances, my fitness was the area that I needed to, I needed to grow in. Because when I, when I was fit and I stirred up my physiology on a regular basis, my mind opened up. Then when I went to the Scripture, I was able to receive more of it because my physiology was open to it. And it dominoed. The more I committed to healthy living, I would add, I added more water in the morning. Then I started adding more nutritious food. And by adding more water and adding more nutritious food, all of a sudden, the amount of coffee I was drinking, the amount of sodas I was drinking, the amount of alcohol I was drinking, slowly were starting to be pushed out. And then the more that was pushed out, the more I went to the Word of God, the more the Word of God, that language I was using, the anger that I was taking out on my wife and my kids, started to change. And then my vocation started having more meaning. I stopped asking, what is God's will in my life? What job does He want me to have? And instead, I looked at doing the Lord's work right where I was at. So, how did, it's all a domino. How much good can you put in to be able to push out the things that are unholy and are taking you in the direction and into the relationships you want? Add more dough. With that said, let me pray. Father God, I just thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the legacy uh, of these authors that took these words inspired by Your Spirit and they wrote them down. And that they still give meaning to our lives today. Lord, I have no idea where each one of these people are at in their journey. What they're struggling with. What they're thriving in. But Lord, what I know is that You said there is an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but that You've come to give life, and life abundantly or life to the full. And I pray that as these folks walk away from the message, that they really ponder what that full engagement, that full life looks like, and that they find that place, that thing, that power pillar that they invite You into in order to push the yeast out and bring in more of the good that you intend for us. Let this church continue to be a blessing to the lives of each one here and to those that live in this community. Thank you for Pastor Brian and his commitment to leading this church well. And Lord, I pray that everybody here would, that first of all, I pray upon them that um, you would reveal yourself in a way that they would know you better. And I pray, Lord, if anybody has conviction on their heart and wants to come clean and repent and, and change their mindset about maybe things in their life, that they would come to those that, that are here to pray with them and that they would just open their heart to receive what you have for them. So, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the richness of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.